0: I love um, Child Dedication Day. And I love this tie-in because all of us as new moms get to see the big picture today. And you get to be that mom that hears the words. Thank you for being there for me. Now, Hannah had um, a special call in her life. And she had a son who had a special call in his life. I was thankful for the baby dedications that we had in our family. And I was thankful that I could dedicate them to the Lord. And I was thankful that I could give them to the priest-pastor, because he lived at our house. Hannah didn't have that privilege, but she knew that God had a special calling on her son. 1 Samuel 19-28 The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, Wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now. And may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir? Do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. May the Lord add his blessing to this word.
1: Thank you, Mark. Mark had uh, four to raise in her family three girls and one guy. Well, that guy was me. <laughs> well, uh, making best choices, the choice for the next generation. I, uh, it's always a challenge to make the best choices. I'm sure you can identify with me in reflecting upon choices that uh, were not the best. Uh, at the very trivial end of the choice-making, was uh, not heeding my mother's advice when I was a young fellow, 10 years of age, living on a farm. And uh, to go to the city was a big deal uh, for a farm kid. You didn't get to the city very much uh, once or twice a year, and probably not even that. And uh, so the next day, we were all going to a ball game in Calgary. And uh, we had some company over the night before, and Mom saw me indulging in the chocolates. She said, don't eat too many chocolates because we're going to Calgary tomorrow and you'll be sick and you won't be able to go. I said, oh, no, I'm fine. And I kept indulging. How do moms know these things? The next morning I was so sick, couldn't go to the city, couldn't go to the ball game that I'd have loved to have been at. I made some choices that I thought were just fine. I won't get sick, but I did. Couldn't believe it that my stomach was so upset that I couldn't go. In fact, didn't even feel like going, didn't want to go. Well, you know, that's pretty small potatoes compared to what happens as the years go by and the choices that we are confronted with. Some people don't even like to read the newspapers when they get a little older. They don't like to watch the TV Uh, because they're absolutely pained by the choices that people make. And they feel very helpless to do anything about it. This week we read the painful story of a, a a mom on illegal medical drugs and drugs off the street and gave birth to her seventh child. What a choice for her. But what a choice she's making for the next generation, for her children. Her last child live 14 days. The other children are alive, but forever impacted by the drugs that has entered their systems. And the consequences of those choices last a lifetime for the next generation. It's Mother's Day, uh, and our thoughts are are certainly directed towards moms this morning, Uh, but not just moms, Every one of us plays a vital role in making the kind of choices that will positively impact the next generation. Someday, people will look back on your life and how you impacted your generation. They'll talk about it at your funeral. It's worth giving your life to make a difference in this generation, in this culture. Now, that's not a new thought, because way back in history, there were many, I'm sure, that uh, would have shared the same perspective. I mean, it's been true all through the generations. We might have used different words than difference makers, but it's been the desire of people through the generations to make a difference. Can I take a pen and make a big circle around the name Samuel? What do you know about Samuel? Samuel became the leader of Israel. What kind of leader do you think he was? As far as I can see, as long as Samuel was leading, there was clarity and direction in the land of Israel. And the people had an inclination to walk with God. And the nation was on a pathway of making best best choices. When Samuel was at the helm. What went into the mix to produce such an incredible servant? Nowhere do I read in the scripture that he had amazing gifts. Mostly he had an amazing heart. Let's talk about investing in the next generation. What are some of the things that go into the making of a leader? What are some of the things that go into the making of your children that will cause them to be influential in the days to come? But what were the components for Samuel? I expect they're not always the same components. But consider Samuel. A praying mom, first of all. Praying mom. He had that going for him right from the get go. He had a praying mom. Sometimes it's a praying dad. Sometimes it's a praying grandma or grandpa. But in this case it was a mom. After watching the wonderful documentary on the family called Irreplaceable last Wednesday night, we were reminded of how critical both mom and dad are. But especially dad. In many families in Canada, in the United States, dad is a missing figure. Dads, let's not let mom carry the load alone. Samuel was the focus of a lot of prayer through the years. Samuel's mom was Hannah. When we read, when we first meet Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, she's a very unhappy, happy woman. Hannah and Penina are married to the same man. Now, that was a cultural thing. You get in real trouble if you try that today. Uh, And it was not a very good relationship. As someone has said in the Bible, you know what the punishment is for having two wives. And the answer is, having two wives. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah and Penina were not good friends. They were scrappers. There are times in our lives as followers of Christ when God seems to withhold from us the one thing we want the most. For Hannah, the one thing was the dream of being a mom. Thank you, Carolyn, for sharing so transparently this morning. Hannah goes through the pain of infertility. And in that culture, there's the added burden of stigma. People would assume that it was because she had offended God. She must have done something wrong. Peninnah is not the most sensitive person in the world because she rubs it in Hannah's face. She can't have a child. There's a jealousy in their relationship. It appears that Elkanah, the husband, was more in love with Hannah than Penina. So this is some ammunition to take some cheap shots at Hannah. So Hannah takes some some real hits from her rival. Well, the bottom line is that the pain that Hannah felt in her heart drove her to God. She had nowhere else to go. Oh, by the way, aren't we all there? When you're up against it, when the roof collapses, and we don't know what to do, we find ourselves pouring our hearts out to God. That's a good thing. Sometimes this is the most authentic prayer. When we verbalize to God the pain that's in our hearts, if you keep a journal, and it's not a bad idea, and you read back a year ago or 5 or 10 years ago or back 20 years ago if you've been keeping a journal that long. You can pick out the pain that drove you to God. The main thing is that it pressed you toward God. Hannah comes to God with her pain. She becomes one of the great prayers. One of the great warriors in prayer in the Bible. And if we can just take a moment to capture some of her emotional honesty and authenticity, you catch the condition of her heart. I'm in chapter 1, verse 10. It says, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Verse 11 says she made a vow. If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. That was quite a commitment. Well, Eli, the priest, sees her in her desperation. And somehow he thinks that she's drunk. And Hannah comes back, right back in response. I'm not drunk. I've been praying here out of anguish and pain in my heart. I'm not drunk. It's important to be reminded that God still remembers us when we are You know, there are a lot of ways that we could respond to disappointment. We have disappointment. We might complain about it. You know what they say about misery. Love's company. We might make it our mission to make sure that everybody around us feels our pain. Or we could go in the opposite direction and just clam up. Never tell anybody what's happening inside, and quietly bear it for years and years and years and years. Hannah shows us a helpful alternative to this. And although you may think it's a predictable thing to say, I expect you to say this, Pastor Ken, I don't want you to jump to conclusions. She prayed about it. But wait, it's the way Hannah prayed about it that I want you to notice. She prayed in bitterness of soul. She didn't hold anything back. She wept and poured out her disappointment to God. I want you to notice what she didn't do. She did not complain to her husband. It would have been all right if she had. I think she knew better. Elkanah didn't get it. You can tell by the comments he made in verse 8 that he kind of got it, but he didn't really get it. He didn't get the depths of his wife's pain. She didn't even complain to the priest because it didn't take long for Eli to show that he was about as clueless as Elkanah. His advice was, throw away your wine, girl. How is that for pastoral compassion? She is so brokenhearted that she can barely get the words out and he says, pull it together, let me have that bottle that's playing havoc in your life, you're drunk, go home, sober up. Here is a lesson that you and I learn along the way. Often the people we expect to understand us in a time of great disappointment don't. Often the people we expect to sympathize with us just turn away. And many of them don't have a clue that they've hurt us. Oh, we hurt somebody? We expect our anim- enemies to abandon us, but our friends? I don't know. Do you ex- understand this from a personal experience in life? Have you ever been there? I mean, if anyone might have left the worship area <coughs> of Shiloh disappointed, Frustrated with life, frustrated with the church, frustrated with the pastor, frustrated with God, it would have been Hannah. And yet, it didn't seem to be the case. But now to the rescue of Eli, got to rescue a pastor. He says something that absolutely changes everything for Hannah. And after just the smallest explanation, Eli changes his tone of voice and he says in verse 17, oh, In that case, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Those were life words to Hannah. Really. Those were freedom words. I don't know. It hit her. That was like a blessing to Hannah. She cheered up. She got something to eat. She started a new journey. She believed that God was going to work in her situation. It was remarkable what she needed to to hear to believe God. It came from somebody that she valued. Praise God for Eli for speaking those words. Maybe today you have been Eli to somebody else. Got to meet with a young pastor this week from Saskatchewan. Had a chance to be Eli to him. (laughs) He was so low. Just needed somebody to believe in him. Maybe today you have been Eli or will be to somebody else. You never know. And, and they, they get up, they wipe away their sadness, and they get on with life. Just because you were sensitive, you thought about it, you prayed about it, put your arm around them, and you bless them. You know, as a friend, as a pastor, we sometimes don't get it. We don't get the depth, of pain some people are carrying. I was called to the general hospital some years ago. A man had suffered a heart attack. His wife was driving the vehicle and he was having a heart attack. He said, get me to the hospital as fast as she can. She she did that, got to emergency. He died shortly after arrival. She gave me a call, said, can you come? When I arrived, uh, the doctor was communicating to the wife. That her husband had passed away. He'd come out; she'd come out to the waiting room, and the physician tried to be as compassionate as she could be, but also as professional as she could be. She said, "I'm sorry to tell you that your husband passed away at 9:06 p.m. Uh, he passed away of these causes. Uh, I'm sorry we we're, were not able to save him. Do you have any questions?" All of a sudden, life is summed up in a few sentences. I mean, the doctor had to hold herself back from the depths of pain. I didn't get it either. We were all protecting ourselves from being slammed emotionally. How can I really understand what just happened here? Here is a woman in a waiting room who has just wor- heard the worst news of her entire life. What do you say? The words run out so quickly. I discovered the best thing I could do was just be there. Just put my arms around her. I didn't have all the right words, but I could be there. Some in this room may be like Hannah, experiencing pain in your heart. It may be to the point of desperation. Maybe you've been praying for a long time and you're just tempted to say, Ah, enough. Just think what would have happened if Hannah would have stopped praying. What would she have missed out on if she had quit? Now, this might be a fairly new story for you, or perhaps uh, you know this story very, very well. Hannah conceived. She gave birth to a, a little boy. Samuel was born. And just like Hannah promised, he was dedicated to the Lord. And as soon as he was weaned, Hannah took him to the house of Shiloh, where Eli the priest lived. There are so many questions that I want to ask. How old really was he? Uh, how, How did he manage? Who took care of him? He's just a little guy. What was his family environment like? And how difficult it must have been to pack that little boy up and trust him into the care of someone else. You know what she said? I prayed for this child. And the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now... I will give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Great verse. But when you see the context, not an easy thing. The the first very important piece in the formation of Samuel as a servant of God, as a leader of people, was the fact that his mom prayed for him and his mom out and out surrendered to the Lord for his whole life. For his whole life. She meant it. Moms, thank you for surrendering to the Lord. Whatever that means, wherever you're at, whatever your context, you can't measure that impact. Just what it means to surrender to the Lord. All those little issues, you surrender them. Through all the pain and the anguish, Hannah learned what we all eventually come to understand. That children are not just for parents, not even just for grandparents. They are for the Lord. They're for the Lord. They are given to parents, loaned for a while, but the reason they are given is for the Lord to use. And Samuel was God's man to meet the need of a nation, and Hannah didn't hang on to him. It's an awesome consideration that, humanly speaking, the future of the whole nation rested on this godly woman's prayer. Isn't it? You just tie that together and how connected that is and how vital that was that she surrender him to the Lord. That was the prayer of Hannah. We have some precious little ones uh, in the congregation just dedicated three this morning. What, what will God do in their lives in the coming years? How will they impact their generation? We're going to watch and wait and pray on tippy-toes. Oh, I wish somehow we could show you a video this morning of these three children 25 years from now. Wouldn't that be cool? I know that belongs only to God. Not to us, but oh, to watch how God will have worked in their lives Forming them, shaping them, teaching them, helping them make best choices. What is our role as parents and grandparents? The dedication ceremony is, uh, that we had this morning is just a one-time upfront celebration. But parents and grandparents, it's in the quietness of your time with the Lord that you give your child to the Lord. And you believe and you pray that uh, his or her whole life will be given over to the Lord. It's in the daily relationship that you have with them that you will teach them what it means to walk with God and what it means to listen to His voice and what it means to walk in this world, discerning the times and developing the skills to make a difference. Parents, teach your children early about the nudges of the Spirit of God. to listen to his voice. I found that to be an area that we didn't talk about enough. They will watch you. They'll learn from you. Much of it probably will be caught rather than taught directly. I mean, if you notice the first 11 verses of chapter 2, I won't have time to look at it, but it's the overflow of Hannah's heart. She is so grateful for Samuel. It's hard to say it any other way. It must have been hard for mom to give Samuel over to the service of the Lord at that early age, but it's her heart that makes it possible. And that's the victory in the first 11 verses of chapter 2. It's absolutely incredible. And that attitude must have kept her through the loneliness of the days when she missed Samuel so much. Well, from a a praying mom, but it could be a praying dad, and it could be a praying grandparent or a praying friend. What a joy it is for us as parents and grandparents to be praying for our children and grandchildren. Their lives are being bathed, bathed, and bathed in prayer. We're praying for difference makers in our family. We're praying for protection, Uh, for best choices when it comes to whether to marry or not and who to marry. We're praying for best choices of right educational opportunities. We're praying for sensitive hearts to listen to God and obey. We're praying for God to work in their hearts to produce a beautiful spirit of generosity so that wherever they go, they're generous in their care, generous in their financial giving, generous in their compassion. Secondly, other support networks. What went into the making of a leader like Samuel? Well, Samuel is placed in a context where he grows up with a different family. And Hannah brings the boy to Eli. Verse 11 says the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. You know, parents, one of the, uh, one of the most difficult decisions that you have to make is to think about the future of your children. And what would happen if you and your spouse were no longer around? What would you do with your children? I mean, who would take care of them? Some of you uh, probably are thinking about that and you haven't really settled it yet because it's a tough call. Houses and cars and land and property, I mean, those are things, but they don't hold a candle to our kids. They're the most important. All of us who have traveled this road have... I thought through it long and hard. Who could we trust with our kids? And here's Hannah and Elkanah giving their son to Eli. What was his home like? Unfortunately, we don't know anything about Eli's wife, but we sure know about his sons. (laughs) And it wasn't a good scene. I don't have time to elaborate on, on the new family into which Samuel was placed. Eli was a good man, a godly man, but he had lost control of his boys. And they, in politest of terms, were rascals. They were completely out of control. Well, so this was the new environment, the new family that Samuel was raised in. You and I look at this and we say, well, Hannah, maybe you should have just kept your child because, wow, look at this new family context. But here's the illogical side of all of this. God works in spite of our environment. With the prayers of His mom, with the advice of Eli... Although he wasn't a very good dad, he must have had some positive impact on Samuel because it says in verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men." And so Samuel grows up in God's house and Eli and God are watching for this little boy. And you know the story of of the voice that comes in the middle of the night and, and Samuel gets up and runs over to Eli's room to say, Was that you saying this to me? And finally, the realization is that that God is speaking to Samuel. But Samuel does not know that it's God. And you see, we all have that challenge uh, as well. It's possible for God to speak to one of us, and we don't understand that God is speaking. Learning to discern the voice of God is an acquired skill. It's learned behavior. And what Eli did for Samuel was to help him recognize the voice of God. And that's a wonderful thing. How we all need those mentors in life, people who will encourage us to listen for the voice of God. Samuel immediately had to face something that must have been extremely challenging. He had to tell Eli what God had said. That judgment was coming to Eli and the nation of Israel because... Eli hadn't disciplined his sons. Because Eli failed to take the word of God seriously, God was going to judge him. He would not allow his sons to continue the ministry living the way they were. And God had warned them before that Eli had a responsibility to correct his sons. And Samuel was chosen at a very young age to be a conveyor of this tough message. I think, oh God, you gave him such a tough assignment Just starting out. Eli was facing the consequences of not making good choices. Perhaps we face the same problems that Eli faced as a father. Guiding, disciplining our children. Part of our responsibility. We may have different approaches on our discipline, but to simply let things go and to never address them will surely come back to hurt our children and to hurt us. The only control you have over a son or daughter who grows up to be a foot taller than you is the fact that you established control when they were three years old. Five years old. Seven years old. And then that respect continues on. Now here's a wonderful verse for us to take home today. First Samuel 3, 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. Think about that. Samuel didn't let any of God's words fall to the ground. Anything God said, Samuel did. Well, there's a pattern. Of all that Samuel learned, none better than to hear the voice of God. What could be better that we learn to hear his voice? Keep listening. Keep checking it out. Don't assume that God won't speak to you. He will. Listen for his voice. Train, learn, grow. You will grow in this ability. I'm right there with you, desiring to hear the voice of God, listening to his promptings, keeping sensitive to the ways that God is speaking. In spite of the tough circumstances of living in Eli's home, he learned to hear the voice of God, and so will we. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, uh, I expect every one of us has a specific context into which uh, you are speaking today. We don't want any of your words to fall to the ground. We pray that you would grant a word of insight, a word of awareness to moms, to dads, to grandparents, to sons, to daughters, to aunts, uncles, so that we are truly difference makers. Lord, uh, we hear you today. We hear your voice. And we want to be responsive to you to say, yes, Lord, like Hannah, totally surrendered to you. Come take control of our lives in Jesus' name.